Hello and welcome. Bienvenido. And assalamu alaikum. Welcome to AO Access to Success. The podcast series developed by the AO Access Task Forces to broaden your perspectives for personal and professional development. Today's podcast is hosted by Dr. Matthew Allen, the lead for the AO Access Task Force Officer and Faculty Selection Processes. Hello and welcome to this Access podcast. My name is Matthew Allen. I'm a veterinarian by training and my clinical and research activities are based at the University of Cambridge in the UK. Today's podcast focuses on creating change through uncovering and addressing unconscious biases. I'm delighted to have as my co-host today, Nikki Kildare, a clinical nurse in the orthopedic trauma and emergency theatre at the Royal Adelaide Hospital, South Australia's largest public hospital. Nikki, welcome, and perhaps you could introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, my name's Nikki Kilday. I'm a trauma orthopedic clinical nurse working at the Royal Adelaide Hospital in South Australia. I have been involved with the AO community since 2003 as a faculty, a chairperson and faculty educator. I have also been a member of the Operating Room Personnel Education Task Force focusing on curriculum development and clinical training modules for ORP within AO Trauma. I'm currently on the AO Access Faculty and Leadership Development Task Force for for Diversity and Inclusion. And it gives me great pleasure to be able to introduce our guest for today, Dr. Sharla Fisher, Associate Professor of Orthopaedic Surgery at the New York University Grossman School of Medicine. Dr. Sharla Fisher works as an orthopaedic surgeon at the New York Langon Spine Centre. She is the Director of Quality and Patient Safety in the Division of Spine Surgery, as well as conducting research in this area. Sharla Fisher is additionally an Associate Editor for the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. She is a passionate advocate for the diversity and inclusion within the healthcare profession. Over to you, Sharla. I'm really excited to uh, take this time to talk about unconscious bias in um, medicine and particularly as it pertains to the AO spine community. So thank you so much for having me. So Sharla, perhaps we can begin with some simple definitions. What is unconscious bias? Yeah, so unconscious bias, uh, sometimes referred to as implicit bias, refers to the feelings and attitudes we have but are not aware of towards certain people or groups. So while unconscious bias is not intentional and it's not the result of any malicious intent, it can lead us to judge, show prejudice, or stereotype people without realizing it. When unconscious bias, again also called implicit bias, is uncontrolled, it can negatively influence behavior of someone towards patients or learners. So what different type of biases are there and can you give us some practical examples to illustrate them? Yeah, absolutely. So one example is confirmatory bias, and this is a bias that leads us to actively search for information which confirms our existing ideas about people. So this can, an example of this is confirmatory bias can lead decision makers discounting key information which contradicts their pre-existing beliefs. So an example of this would be um, former President Trump using the term fake news for things that he disagreed with already. There's also uh, affinity bias. And so this is a bias that leads us to favor people who look like us, sound like us, or share a similar background and interests. 
And affinity bias can mean that we fail to see the faults in people who are like us. And then we are more critical of those who we perceive to be different. Um, and then uh, another example is the social comparison bias, where we um, really are, uh, are trying to identify with both individual and group identity. So we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people in the group. So while um, it sounds like we're always comparing ourselves, the central part of this belief is that um, I, as an individual, do think I am better than others within this group. So I'm always trying to compare myself. Another example of bias uh, sort of in real life is uh, when the engineers at Google first developed YouTube and there was the ability to upload videos, they noticed that five to 10% of videos were quote unquote up, uh, uploaded wrong. They were upside down. And they noticed uh, after sort of looking into it that there is one way that's right side up if you hold the camera on your phone in your right hand. And then there's another way that the video turns out if you hold the camera in your left hand. So these uh, upside down videos were filmed perfectly correctly with a left hand grip on the phone. And so that's sort of just the bias that everyone is right handed. It's going to the filming is going to turn a certain way. Other examples of bias. One is called uh, the halo effect, where one per aspect of a person is really good. Say someone's really organized and always sending emails on time and shows up on time, for example. So that aspect about the person is good. So you assume everything else about the person is good. They must be really smart. They must be really fun. They must have a good idea about things. So that leads you to assume everything about the person is great. Another example of bias is bro appropriating. So this is when a man restates a woman's ideas in a meeting or on an email or in sort of group forum. And so the man gets a better response from everyone than the woman who initially said the idea. Uh, a third example of bias is uh, the name effect. So for example, someone named Jane Smith might be better received than a Jaquanda Smith. Um, another example of bias is nasty woman where assertive women are seen as more aggressive um, when they are portraying attributes normally attributed to men. And then this one I, I love because it's just so basic. So um, uh, another example of bias is that height can equal success. So the average male CEO is three inches taller than the average male. So this just means that, you know, tall men, you uh, have to physically look up to them. And so they have a little more um, power and prestige just based off of their height. Well, Charlie, you've given us some great examples of how unconscious bias can creep into our personal and professional interactions. Um, but what do we know about the impact of unconscious bias on workplace experiences? And, and, and are these findings evident in and relevant to healthcare? Yeah, so there's a lot of research into um, healthcare disparities and socioeconomic factors influencing health outcomes. So, for example, um, the, and this whole uh, area of healthcare disparities research is looking for what's called social determinants of health. So, it has nothing to do with your um, actual health status, but these social factors that can lead to different outcomes for your healthcare. So underrepresented groups tend to have higher morbidity or, and mortality in areas of coronary artery disease, diabetes, uh, infant mortality, obesity, and malignancy. Um, race and gender have influenced management of chest pain and referral for cardiac cath. 
And in the VA system, there's been some uh, research on um, black as a social determinant of health and veterans, such as uh, black patients are undertreated for pain due to osteoarthritis. They're less likely to be offered a lap cholecystectomy, less frequently treated with revascularization for CAF, and black and Hispanic race is an independent risk factor for amputation and peripheral vascular disease. Charlotte, this brings us on to the broader topic of healthcare disparities within orthopedics, obviously a topic that's very relevant to AO and its mission, and something that we'll doubtless return to in a future podcast. But can you summarize what we know about how unconscious bias contributes to and likely fosters healthcare disparity within the context of clinical orthopedics? Yeah, so there's been uh, multiple studies on uh, healthcare disparities, uh, specifically in orthopedics. Um, one area that has um, shown a lot of uh, research as well as impact is in trauma care, um, orthopedic trauma. So there's a, a study looking at orthopedic trauma patients and socioeconomic factors influencing the management of calcaneus fractures. Um, and so this was a um, national inpatient sample. So that's looking at insurance data and insurance claims in the U.S. And so they looked at the management of calcaneus fractures in 27,000 patients. And just looking at, was there any difference based off of operative and non-operative treatment um, uh, based off of socioeconomic factors? So the idea is if you have a large enough pool and they're going to look at 27,000 cases, it's you don't need to get into the weeds of um, the type of fracture, it should ha you should have different types of fractures in different types of patients. So with this sample size of 27,000 patients, you can look at the socioeconomic factors and does that have any impact. And they found a significantly lower utilization of open reduction and internal fixation in older patients, women, uh, Medicare patients, and minority status of African-American and Hispanic as well as uh, lower income as estimated by their zip code. So this is pretty important information because when you look at such a large patient pool, you shouldn't see these differences, but the researchers did find this. So what about the clinical outcomes? Is there evidence that implicit bias affects surgical safety outcomes, Charla? So in 2002, in the U.S., there's the Center for Medicare Services, and they have an office that puts together uh, a report every year looking at different aspects. So in 2002, the report was based on unequal treatment uh, among racial and ethnic disparities in healthcare. And they found that there were disparities when controlling for age, income, insurance, and comorbidities, and that health systems and healthcare providers do contribute to this disparity. Uh, they also found that provider bias and stereotyping may be contributing to the, the disparities in healthcare. And so they had a couple of recommendations based off of this. They really felt that we should increase the number of healthcare professionals from underrepresented groups, that the provider performance should include a measure of disparities, and then clinic practice should be uniform and based off of evidence, evidence-based medicine. Sharla, you're an orthopedic spine surgeon. Is there relevant a research that you have done around spine surgery and unconscious bias? In 2013, there was a study looking at the socioeconomic factors and differences in treatments and outcomes for idiopathic scoliosis patients treated in the U.S. 
And so these are all uh, patients with scoliosis. And um, you would think that, you know, a curve is a curve, right? But the researchers found that there was differences in selection of surgical versus non-surgical treatment, as well as in-hospital morbidity for patients um, with idiopathic scoliosis based off of ethnic and socioeconomic variables. So to me, this is really important research because we have very clear criteria in the surgical indications for um, adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, yet we are seeing differences in, in treatment. And there's another study more recently looking at uh, black as a social determinant health after lumbar spine surgery. And the researchers found that black patients as compared to white were more likely to have post-operative complications, longer post-operative length of stay, higher total hospital charges, and increased odds of 30 and 90 day readmissions following lumbar spine fusion surgery. So to me, these are really strong examples of how um, social determinants of health and socioeconomic factors are related to outcomes after spine surgery. So at an organizational level, how can we interrupt or counteract the impact of implicit bias? That's an excellent question. So on an organizational level, there are a couple of things that can, you know, we can implement to try to counteract the uh, impact of implicit bias. The first thing is to do assessments, is to see, you know, where we are, and then to really emphasize that this can be improved with learning, and then to develop a comprehensive plan for uh, learning and then reassessment to see how things are going. So we've discussed general strategies for managing the impact of bias, but what, what sorts of tangible steps can we all take as individuals, Charla, to minimize the potential for unconscious bias? Is, is there evidence to suggest that some of these steps can be effective? Yes. So on, on an individual level or organizational level, we can really take some steps to help um, minimize our unconscious bias or just become more aware of the effect on a daily basis. So one thing is a physician education using the implicit association test. So this is uh, a, a test that uh, was developed by um, some researchers, and it's basically this short questionnaire um, that you can do online that really checks to see if you have any bias. You can do it for based off of racial differences, gender differences, for people who are differently abled. So it's all kinds of uh, uh, implicit associations that you can do a test for to see where you fall on the spectrum. Um, and this is really, I think, enlightening for a lot of people who think, I don't have any bias, and then they take the test and it shows that they have maybe a small bias towards one group or the other. The other thing that we can do is to really promote equal treatment, to um, really be mindful of every patient as an individual and really assess what's going on with that individual and treat them as a whole person. And then you can undergo education uh, as an individual and organization on cultural competence. As we are uh, developing uh, curriculum for our learners, for our trainees, medical students, residents, practicing physicians, we can include in our curriculum communication uh, focus on patient-centeredness. Another thing we can do is to really focus on a mindfulness practice. So decreasing stress and burnout is really important in providers because that is one area that seems to be contributing to our biases. When we are pressured for time, 
And when we are stressed and burned out, we don't treat patients based off of uh, evidence-based medicine as much as more we treat patients with a gut instinct and reaction. And that is where a lot of these biases come in. And so having a mindfulness practice and really working on decreasing stress and burnout allows healthcare providers to control their implicit biases and really stop and think about things. And then uh, a mindfulness practice also helps to increase patient compassion. So a lot of the, the, the stress that providers feel leads to um, poor patient satisfaction. They feel rushed. They feel unheard. They feel like their needs are unmet. But when, when providers have time and less stress when they see each patient, then they're able to really spend time with that patient and that patient feels like all of their needs are being met. Well, we have come to the end of our time for this podcast. We would like to thank Dr. Sharla Fisher for her time and for presenting such a clear overview of unconscious bias, what it is, how it can impact our ability to take care of our patients and some simple steps that we can take to counteract it. So rather like conflicts of interest, which we're all used to dealing with, um, it's often impossible to completely eliminate unconscious bias, but the important thing seems to be to self-reflect, to recognize the potential for unconscious bias in our daily thoughts and, our, and in our actions. And I was particularly struck by what, what Sharla said there with regard to taking the time. When we're under stress, we perhaps revert to type, and so we've got to actively try to protect ourselves from doing that and to use best practices not just the most expedient and quickest gut decision. Yeah, and I was particularly struck by the data that you presented, Charlotte, and the link between unconscious bias and healthcare disparity. So we very much hope that this information you presented helps our listeners to recognise the importance of unconscious bias and to work individually and collectively to mitigate its impact on our patients and on our community at large. Positive role modelling, mentorship, research and data and respectful challenges to the attitudes and behaviours such as unconscious bias form a part of the AO's comprehensive approach to diversity and inclusion. Thank you, Sharla. Thanks so much for having me. And I really think that these types of learning opportunities help further the mission of AO and will allow people to, to learn more about decreasing their own unconscious bias and help improving patient care. Thank you for listening to the AO Access to Success podcast series. Be sure to visit our webpage to facilitate your personal and professional development by exploring dimensions of leadership at AO Foundation. Who we are, about AO, AO Access. To join the conversation.